Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for February. That wasn't pronounced correctly, but that's okay, because this is where, this is the kind of the house that we're living in at the moment, with mispronunciations all over the place. And, right, some things are easy to deal with, like, say, Flick Fleet. That's easy to deal with, Flick Fleet. Easy, flick, fleet, simple, okay? Then you go and look at the company name and you're like, what? And then you try and pronounce it and you go, well, it's Eurydice Games. Easy. And then you say, well, what else can we do next? Could we maybe get the person that's involved in Eurydice Games to come on and talk about it? And we say, yes, but what's he called? His name's Jackson. His second name's Pope. See, there's no problems here. Is there, Jackson? No, you got all of that right first yeah. time. <laughs> Take number 57, <laughs> clip. We got there in the end. <laughs> we did get there in the end. We've actually been recording for seven and a half hours and we're on our 15th cup of coffee. So if things go haywire... That will explain a lot. You'll know, you'll know exactly what has been going on. Um, first of all, thank you for thank you for joining us. Uh, Mr. Pope, and this has been I always say this, this has been a long time coming but this in particular has been job changes and house moves and kickstarters have just been getting in the way of us having a jolly good chit in fact, was it not the case I think that you had a I think an unwell child I believe, I think we both it's been Quite swings and round. That kind it's of thing been, happens all the time. It's been swings and roundabouts, but you're here. We're here to have a chat. Absolutely fantastic, brilliant. Um, but first of all, how are you, how are you doing? Are you well? Are you well, yes, sir? Yes, I'm good, thanks. Yes, I'm very well. So, uh, started a new job last week. Um, nobody's ill, so <laughs> all good. Oh dear. I mean, I wish. Yeah, it was kind of like one of those things. I kind of saw the news today, and it's like we can joke aside and everything like that. But pretty soon, people saying, "Yeah, we've not got anybody ill here," is is horrifically prophetic. I don't, <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it. But um, for people that haven't listened to this before, uh, thank you for joining us. The reason that we do this is because um, we've in our fourth year. We've done over 360 episodes. We're kind of like um, heading towards, hopefully we're heading towards kind of like not a Dexter type ending, um, but maybe like, a, maybe like a good place type end or a Breaking Bad type ending instead. And the other reason um, that we're doing this is because um, Jackson likes to use his hands. 
make that sound so dirty. <laughs> He's <laughs> he likes to get no. You've made it sound dirty. Okay, yeah, you've made it sound dirty. I'm gonna have to flip up the rating on this podcast. Just you've just ruined it already. Um, but I'm not. I'm not lying in that. You, <laughs> you have genuinely gone ahead and just like made physical copies of Flick Fleet to send out to your backers, haven't you? I mean, yes. let's take the time machine back a bit and start off with the first question is, first of all, Mr. Pope, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've kind of got previous for this. So, um, so I ran okay. a uh, publishing company between 2006 and 2011. Um, and that started making games by hand. I had an idea for a board game. Um, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool, but I've no idea how to sell board games. So I'll just make 100 copies by hand and see if I can sell them over the internet. And this was in 2006 when <laughs> there was no Kickstarter. Um, board Game Geek existed, but not a lot else. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I made 100 board games by hand and I sold them all over the world in it a year which was crazy um, and then somebody sent me another game and I made 300 copies of f- 300 copies of that within a year and then at the end of that um, I tried to turn pro and start getting games professionally manufactured into and into distribution and mm-hmm. that was shall we say a mixed bag um, I ended up with 21 distributors across three <gasps> continents um, wow. and sold several thousand games uh, but also lost a reasonably large amount of money and didn't earn any salary for two years um so at the end of that unsurprisingly i had to get a job um and then i started designing games again i'm gonna say two or three months after that company folded um and started publishing games again in 2017 because was that when the tears dried up was that when the tears dried up and you went you went right that's it but the Back to the drawing board of drive-bys. We're going to do this. Not Kidding. far off. I was actually um, driving home from Bristol, I think, and had the idea for wow. a uh, steampunk sci-fi deck builder. So set in a sort of steampunk universe, but transitioning to sci-fi, but still in that universe, about colonising the, the solar system in a sci-fi solar system over like 300 years. Have you always been this creative? I mean, have you always been this creative? Have you always, I mean, were you were you an airfix kit type of a boy growing up? Were you kind of like always kind of like you? I've I've always been doing something. Um, So um, I've painted minis. um, Yes, and obviously played those kind of games. I've made decks for like deck builders. vague memories my memory's terrible i have vague memories of designing a game based on a james bond hideout when i was probably around 11 or 12 um but yeah i like crafting stuff so making those 400 games by hand was something i did for fun i mean it was great that i could sell them and there were people interested in buying yeah i I thoroughly enjoyed making them and uh yeah actually um i used to play things like uh necromunda as well and i used to make loads of scenery for that i had this crazy jigsaw um like maze that i'd made out of foam core for necromunda with like platforms and stairs and all sorts it was awesome um 
yeah, I make things. So what, okay, so what's more exciting for you? Is it designing a game? Because, okay, because designing a game, people think about mechanics and they think about the components and they think about the presentation and they think about a lot of the time the components are usually kind of an extension. I mean, somebody will start off with, well, here's a meeple and then kind of like if they're doing like a a deluxe version or a Kickstarter stretch goal version, then they'll say, well, we've gone into a shaped meeple. When you're kind of putting something together, are you taking into account kind of, well, how, how do I make this? Or is it easier for you? Or do you naturally just like prototype something and then kind of say, well, how can I design the components from there, bearing in mind you're probably going to be making the thing? Uh, that's an interesting question, I guess. Um, I, I obviously like making the prototypes because that's more or less what I end up <laughs> doing mm-hmm. hundreds of. Um, so, yeah, I I enjoy the prototyping side of things. I I usually got half an eye on how you could make that either at hand-making scale or at semi-handmaking scale or a professional scale and obviously things change um i mean like with flick fleet there was there's a sweet spot i mean i can we did make 300 copies of flick fleet last year um i did nothing else um and if we'd have doubled that it would have been pretty hard going but because i mean we were making the boxes literally from flat sheets of greyboard and labels that we had to cut out into the right net shape before we folded and glued them and everything. Um, we were laser cutting the pieces ourselves. That's uh, Paul was doing that in his garage down in York, um, bagging up all the bits ourselves. I was cutting out the ship dashboard. So, I mean, it was a huge chunk of work. So there's like a, there was a sweet spot around 300 where you could just about yeah. do it within a year in your own time. Um, around 700, that would have become untenable yeah. but to, to get the, the, the pieces injection molded you kind of need to make 1500 or 2000 copies yeah, before yeah, that yeah, becomes yeah. affordable um and one of the things i'm really keen on doing this time round is not ending up with a warehouse full of games that i'm struggling to sell um which is where i ended up i mean it went around the first company reefer games um for the last probably two years um i was paying 300 and something pounds a month on a, a loan that i'd got to fund one of the game developments um, and I was also paying £10 plus VAT a week on warehousing the games that I had. So I had like eight pallets of games in a warehouse in York. Um, and I didn't want to end up in that boat again. I didn't want to be sat on a load of stock that I was really troubling, uh, really struggling to sell. Sorry, is that a bit, I mean, is that a bit of like f- f- fear? So some of it, definitely, yeah. Um, I don't want to end up in that situation again. <laughs> um because you sat there watching your um your capital dwindle away is no fun at all um but the hand making i enjoy um paul likes his part of it and it allows us to make it at much smaller scale so we started this company with no 2000 person mailing list um we haven't been going all over the world to trade shows trying to hawk our game so we we went into it with almost nothing uh, which probably explains why our first fl- uh, Flick Fleet Kickstarter funded with four hours to spare. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, 
it meant that we could turn around to those three or four hundred people and say, yep, we can make those copies. We can do it by hand. You'll have your yeah. copies before we said you'd have them. So we managed to fulfill that early. Um, and at the end of it, we've only got a few copies left to sell on afterwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in some cases, if like if it had really, really taken off, as you said, it might have led you with a few problems. If you'd ended up, you know, you would have ended up extra expense having to potentially look at injection moulding, potentially having to go, hmm, how are we actually going to deliver this? So is it kind of fortunate that you kind of managed to achieve what some other companies would care, would plan as a worst case scenario that you did kind of just manage to jump over the kind of the funding goal then? Yeah, so I mean, when we were setting it up, we set ourselves a uh, reasonable funding goal. We thought if we hit this number, we will be able to make those rewards and do it at a small profit so that we're not losing money on it. Um, and that's something mm-hmm. that handmaking mm-hmm. games really lets you do because we made, you, you can't make a, a 400 copy run professionally. The individual copies would cost more than the retail price. Um and most people have a, most manufacturers have a 1500 or 1000 copy minimum run. Uh, but we could make 400 copies. We could do it by hand. Um, mm-hmm. it, sure, it took a, a lot of time. Um, yeah. But it, that was achievable and doable and reasonable. Um, had we doubled that, it would have been tricky. Had we quadrupled it, it would have been okay again because we'd have been up to the sort of scale where you could mm. get those games professionally manufactured. Um, and maybe go with like a fulfillment company for the fulfillment. So we so we'd worked out the figures at various scales, but we knew that mm. even if we we funded with a a pound to spare, we'd be all right. In fact, we ended up just sneaking over the funding goal, and then we had six percent of people whose payments failed. Um, and it, in the week that Kickstarter chased people, four percent of those came back. So we ended up two percent under our funding goal. Wow! In the end. No Still way. Okay. But I mean, you've got to do the sums. So we uh, we assume Kickstarter say they take, I think eight to ten percent. So yeah, we assume ten yeah. percent, and it was actually mm-hmm. eight point five or something. So we ended up with more than we would have got had they taken ten percent of our funding goal, even though we dipped beneath it. So for someone like yourself, you know, the difference between somebody pledging and not pledging is a huge, you know, can make a big a big difference. <laughs> Can make yeah. a big difference. That that first Kickstarter felt awful. Um, Paul and I were sat there watching the um, the funding total on an almost hourly basis, and it would go up, and then it would go down a bit, and then someone would change their pledge, and then someone would pull yeah. out, and then somebody else would pledge and be yes, and then somebody else would cancel. We even had people cancel within minutes of us funding. <laughs> it was like ah, this is killing me. Um, the second flick feat with Kickstarter, which we did at the end of last year, we funded in three and a half days rather than 29 and three quarter days. Um, so that one was much more comfortable. But uh, still, you, you you can't help but watch the goal as it flutters mm-hmm. up and then flutters down again. Do you... Is it really... Do you have to like learn to take take breaks and kind of walk away and not kind of look at it because it's very very easy to become even when I run our Kickstarter there was the kind of the temptation to kind of even though I'd never kind of went through a big kind of growth and drop it kind of was quite steady 
there's always the temptation to kind of continually, just in case, even if you're getting the emails to say if stuff's changing kind of thing, did you have to, does at some point you just said, look, I've got to, I've got to just look away and let this kind of be as it is. I'm not going to really affect it by continually kind of pressing F5 here. Um, I think that would have been healthy. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you didn't know. <laughs> Especially not on the first one. The second mm. one, it was much easier because fairly quickly, I mean, it wasn't funded in 20 minutes or some of these crazy mm. ones where people set like a, a 20 pound funding goal or it's like um, restoration games where they're, they've got a, 200,000 or 800,000 target or whatever it is, but they must have a mailing list of tens of thousands of people. Um, so they usually fund pretty quickly. But um, I mean, we funded in three and a half days and it was pretty evident, even from the beginning, that we we were almost certainly going to fund. So it was mm. much more comfortable that time around. I was going to say it was lovely that we had so many people come back from the first Kickstarter because the second Kickstarter was... Um, it was for a reprint of the base game plus mm-hmm. an expansion. And we had something like a third of people who backed the first one come back for the expansion yeah. and or another copy of the game. Were you not um, tempted at the time? Because um, kind of a couple of years ago, it was, there was or there seemed to be a, a, a kind of almost like a, a habit um, where it became quite popular for people who even when they were funding a certain way above the target or um, for them to cancel the campaign kind of like 10 days into the campaign, at any point when you were kind of swithering up and down in the first campaign, did you ever kind of cross your mind between yourself and Paul just to say, look, let's, let's just finish this early and then we can come back in a couple of months and you know, see if the appetite's still there and see if we can fund a lot quicker. Did you ever think about kind of doing that at all? No, I think we always thought we're, we're going to go for it and we'll mm. either succeed or we'll fail, but we've set a, re, a, a realistic target for what we're trying to do and it, mm-hmm. either we'll make it or we won't. And if we won't, then we may well consider coming back and running a second one. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, some of those people who do that cancellation, I mean, some of them even do it after they've funded because... It, it's not going to fund enough for them to consider yeah. it a success. It's like, well, yeah. if it hits its funding goal and not a, a penny over, it's a success for us. Um, so there was no need for us to cancel. We're not we're not in retail with one exception. There's a there's a chain of um, like hobby stores in the north of England uh, mm-hmm. that, that carry carried zombology our our first game and now carried yeah. flick fleet in most of their stores um but because we're handmade we we just can't afford to go into distribution and retail really um but so so sales go through kickstarter and sales go through our website and that's it so we don't need to have huge margins to make it affordable we don't need to make five times our funding goal before it's a success it's the funding goal is a success anything above that is gravy so what do you enjoy about the process are you actually enjoying the hand crafting kind of putting everything together because i mean and do you kind of do you uniquely number 
every kind of box that somebody gets so they know that they've got copy number, you know, 127 and that's the only one that kind of exists. Um, yes. I mean, our, right. It's a very politician's answer. Um, so it was. Our, we, we did a deluxe version of the kicks uh, of flick fleet. Uh, so for Zombology, we, we numbered all of them. Um, and we also signed the, ins- so we inside the box lid, we number it X out of, for Zombology 200 and for Flick Feet 400. Um, and then we also sign it. Um, so for Zombology, I was the designer and Paul wasn't in the company. So that was just me. But now both of us signed the boxes for the deluxe mm-hmm. copies. Um, there's usually a little inscription and you can even, for the deluxe copies, you can get it personalized. So, so if you want your name or a family member's name or the name of your family, or we've had some great ones for the second Kickstarter, some, some really entertaining Yeah. Um, personalization requests and so you get a a slightly special game like that uh the standard ones don't include that so they just get a a blank box lid but the other big difference between the two is that the uh, the deluxe flick fleets have these ship some ship details and the name of the Mm. ship etched onto the top surface of it because it's all laser cut acrylic all right the ships the ships are cut out of like a five mil thick acrylic Uh, so you've got the the sort of the plain ship outline in the deluxe in the standard copy and then you've got mm-hmm. the, the name of the ship and some gun turrets and detailing etched onto the surface of the deluxe copies that's really kind of cool because i've always one of the things that kickstarter do is they do their like their make 100 yeah. kind of series and that seems to be a lot of people who are you know they're doing small runs of something so there's no way it can really kind of be kind of manufactured unless it's kind of like a card game and they can maybe run off a couple of couple of copies to the to the printers are you are you quite content to run this and continue what you're doing with all the games that you're planning on releasing i mean are you wanting to kind of keep the kind of the handcrafted kind of side of the side of this because it seems to me that designing the games is important to you but also it seems the kind of the personal touch and actually the creation of the games also seems to be pretty important to you as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that's definitely part of what we like about doing it. So um, we've, um, so it kind of depends upon volume. So, I mean, we've made 400 copies, well, 300 and something copies of Flick Fleet last year. Um, and that was pushing it. Uh, that was pretty much using up all of my free time. Last year, I didn't do any game design. I didn't mm-hmm. go to the local games club. I didn't go to the the playtesting session that I set up. And that was partially <laughs> um, made more difficult by the fact that I had a job that involved a reasonable amount of travel. Um, and so it's quite quite difficult when you've got young kids and you've just yeah, come back yeah. from a week-long trip to the States to, uh, wow. to get a pass to then go and play games in a pub um but uh yeah it was so that's kind of doable um if games get more successful and we get more people interested in them then that kind of becomes untenable unsustainable so this year we ended up um we're making 800 it's 400 copies of the base game again Mm. and 400 copies of the expansion um and we can't do all of that within a year by ourselves so um we've literally just today had the boxes arrive in paul's garage 
Um, mm-hmm. And so they the boxes have been made for us, which saves us like 15 minutes a game, I think. Because um, we, previously we were cutting out the nets of the greyboard, folding, taping them, then cutting wow. out a label net and then gluing the label on and then doing the same for the lid, um, which obviously takes some time. Do you um do you do you and Paul get on quite well? And have you got kind of like similar similar mindsets? Because I can imagine if he's sitting there going, "How do we automate this thing?" It's like, no, just make sure your scissors are sharp yeah, and so, your pr- so your print stick is overflowing. So I was doing most of that stuff last year. Um, towards yeah. the end of the year, Paul started helping out a bit. So Paul's got the laser cutter in his garage, so he was laser mm. cutting all the ships. Uh, he was also had all the wooden bits at his house, so he was bagging up the ships and the la- and the the, um, the laser cut ships. And then we would meet up occasionally. And because um, I live in Newcastle, which is a hundred miles north of York, for those of you who don't know British geography very well, um, and then. I would make the boxes, I would cut out the dashboards, I'd put the rule books and the dashboards in the box, take the bag of stuff Paul had given me and put that in the box and then ship them. Um, and towards the end of the year, Paul started helping out more with that. Paul works three days a week and has a 15-year-old daughter. I work five days a week with a reasonable <laughs> amount of international travel and have yeah. two daughters who are two and seven. Wow. So slightly higher maintenance. So uh, yeah. I'm struggling a bit for time. So, so Paul took on cutting out the box nets for me and uh, the labels as well. And then I was just physically making the boxes and labeling them, which saved a good six or seven minutes a game. Every little counts. Did you not think kind of halfway through and just saying, like, next time it's a card game and there's just one card and we stick everything in one envelope? <laughs> and that's how it's, it's going to be called the one card game. And uh, the person that gets the card thrown at them, they lose. And that's the game. Well done. And kind <laughs> of do that. I mean, is there any time where you've went, oh, my fingers are glued together. Um, somehow I've got kind of adhesive sticky stuff in my hair. And, uh, um, and you know, and, 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 and I keep finding bits of ships, like in various parts of my clothes even when I'm at work kind of thing when is this going to end no perhaps that <laughs> shows that there's clearly something wrong with me um, I didn't want to say so we we, we get a, you do find the worst one is actually um, I got this big tool for rounding corners when I made my mm. very first game in 2006 and I still use that to this day and you end up with these tiny little sort of five mil bits of card that are like the 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 corner of a card that's been cut into a nice round circle so this mm-hmm. tiny lip they get everywhere i fi- i was finding those years after <laughs> i'd stopped using the tool um although i used it again recently for zombology um, yeah so that's that's the worst one and i don't i don't glue my fingers together but i frequently cut the tips off them so i, I need to get better at not doing that i that get can't that it stings. Don't like that. I can highly recommend I don't like not that. doing it. I do definitely still don't like. Don't continue to describe it. Um, already said I don't like it. You don't need to go into any more detail. Um, on the on the craft side, moving swiftly on the, to a subject that doesn't involve you cutting off the tops of your fingers. Thank you very much, Mister Pope. Um, sometimes what I see is when I'm online, I see kind of people kind of deluxifying 
games. Would you ever consider doing that? Have you ever kind of like seen a copy of a game and went, oh, I'd love to just take that and just kind of, you know, pimp it up, you know, pimp my game kind of thing? It's not something I've really done myself. Um, hmm. I've I've made a box insert for my X-wing minis collection. Um, uh-huh. Again, at phone call, um, but none of my games I really pimped up myself. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got a couple of things like my uh, Lords of Waterdeep has the the D and D pools, which are awesome. And mm-hmm. um, in fact, years ago, Paul gave me the um, the Annie pools and Veggie pools for Agricola. All right, um, cool. Um. But uh, yeah, I've not done any of pimping my own games, as it were. Um, although I do this thing on Wednesdays on Twitter called Craft Wednesday. Um, yes. And there's quite a few people who join in that who've done that kind of thing. And it always looks really cool. But I'm too busy making my own games to <laughs> make make my board games look better. If you had the time, would it be something you would consider? Because you mentioned kind of mucking around with like making CDR for Necromunda. I mean, if somebody says, right, here, here's some materials, what would you like to kind of do? Would it be something you would do, or are you just quite quite happy just rather making your own games than making other people's kind of better? Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd prefer to make my own games. Mm-hmm. I think that's the stuff I enjoy the most, making funky prototypes, and then hopefully at some point getting them to the point where they're good enough that other people will want to play them. With um, with Flick Fleet, how did how did you get the original idea? For because you mentioned X Wing, yeah. And when I first saw Flick Fleet, the first thing that went through my head was X Wing. When I first saw like the first original pictures, was it? I mean, what was the kind of the inspiration behind kind of Flick Fleet when you were first kind of putting it together? So um, I think it was actually Paul's idea. We we um. So I, f- I first met Paul uh, when I arranged a blind playtesting evening for my first games company when I lived in mm-hmm. York. Um, so I've mm-hmm. known him like 13 or something years now. Wow. And w- the whole time it's been through games, although I used to go to his games night twice a week back when mm-hmm. I lived in York and mm-hmm. we've remained friends and probably see each other three or four times a year sort of on the weekend our families get together and they'd come up for the weekend, his family, and we were out for a walk in the countryside. And he said, I think I'm pretty sure it was him. He said, um, wouldn't it be a great idea if you took something like X-Wing and yeah. crossed it with like flick up or something? Yeah. And th- that was the idea. And that's pretty much exactly where it ended up. <laughs> um, so th- the original idea was just bang on the money. And as Matt Thrower says, it works so well. Um, it's a wonder nobody thought to do it beforehand. <laughs> it was just uh, it's just one of those things. It's like, yeah, because you could, because I I loved X Wing, but I haven't played it in years and years. And when I did play it, what I found was that we'd sort of spend twenty five minutes trying to choose a a set of ships and just the right mixture of pilots and yeah. add ons and everything, and then the game would last probably thirty five forty minutes, uh, and it's like. Okay, so it's now getting on for an hour and a half. And at that point, it's starting to drag a bit. Whereas Flick Fleet, it's pretty much all done in 15 minutes. And uh, so it's a much, much shorter game. And you can play what? the, the pre-can scenarios or you can build up a fleet like you would in um, X-Wing. 
I just found that X-Wing became a war of attrition and it was, if it got down to the last kind of couple of ships and if they didn't have a 360 degree kind of firing arc, you were just chasing each other kind of around the board and there yeah. was a lot of times where I would be playing it with my my son and we would just look at each other and just go, shall we just finish this up because otherwise we're going to be here until Tuesday because, you know, none, neither of us are going to win or we had kind of powers on our cards which meant I was like, even if I got behind them, then the, sh- the shots I was shooting at them were kind of like more likely to miss anyway. So it kind of became a kind of a, a short thing where I was expecting... <coughs> And I'm sure most people expect this when they play something like X-Wing that it is going to be kind of um, flying around the place after each other, kind of dogfighting and stuff like that. And and I think um, it suffers a little bit from a bit of bloat that it can end up being a case that even if you do get behind somebody or you do get somebody in the firing arc, um, there's so many things that can negate other people's actions. <laughs> that you can sometimes feel a little bit useless. Yeah. Um whereas kind of your you know, the immediacy of something like Flick Fleet, I think, kind of went back and said, let's have a scheme where spaceships can kind of shoot each other. And <laughs> sums it up. Which was pretty much a thought kind of like Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um have you thought of um are you gonna continue to expand kind of flick fleet is that is that the kind of the the continual plan i mean are you thinking about you know are you thinking about kind of introducing even more and more ships is it something you're kind of quite happy where it is just now or so uh in the second kickstarter introduced an expansion which brought in three new ships and a bunch of extra Mm. optional rules so there was a ship with a cloaking device um Mm -hmm. which made it turn invisible and quite hard become quite hard to hit um there was a ship that laid mines which blew up and did loads of damage mm-hmm. to areas rather than direct hits um and there was a ship specifically designed for ramming so even in the base game you could do ramming as a sort of last ditch thing it would utterly destroy you and there was a mm-hmm. it would do quite a lot of damage to whoever you rammed but this was a ship that was designed to, to ram other ships so it could survive ramming other ships as long as it wasn't too badly damaged itself um, plus mm-hmm. we added in some objective tokens which were things you could um, you could have as sort of like targets that you had to race for or stuff like that and asteroids and civilian ships that would um, essentially neutral ships that you could be guarding or um, trying to blow up or whatever uh, we've got some ideas for another expansion which will probably be the next thing we kickstart which is a couple of new alien races so since we released the game people have been asking to play it with more than two people it's a, it's a two-player game it's yeah like yeah. x-wing it's it's one versus one uh i know people have played it three or four player um so they they played mm-hmm. teams a versus b but there's there's two fleets of ships one of them's gray evil empire and one of them's red <laughs> the rebels i mean sorry that sounds a bit star wars let's take that back um the imperium and the uprising <laughs> that's what we're going to go with um so, yeah so your pretty much only option is to play two people on one team 
or yeah. one versus one. Um, so the idea is that, that the next expansion will be um, will bring in two new races of aliens. So their ships will be really quite different with quite different rules, but also new colours. So you can play potentially up to four players against each, all against each other, four player free for all. Um, or you can still play in teams and it'll introduce official two versus two and three or four player rules. Plus loads of wacky alien stuff. Do you wanna um do you want it to achieve some kind of um distribution? If somebody came along and said, Right, okay, you know, I want we want to change the art and stuff like that, but we want to publish this for you and just kind of take it off your hands. Would you consider that or has the previous events has that kind of put you off and said, No, I wanna I need to st- I wanna can stay in control of this. Yeah. I don't think I need to be in control. I mean, I, Paul and I haven't really spent a lot of time talking about this. I, I would like it to be more popular than it currently is. So we've mm-hmm. we, by the end of the second Kickstarter, there's going to be around 600 people who've got a copy of it, which is um, a tiny, tiny fraction of the popularity of a really popular mm-hmm. game. Um I think it's pretty good. The The feedback we're getting is very, very positive. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it could be more successful. And probably one of the reasons why it hasn't been is that I'm hopeless at marketing. Um, <laughs> so I think if somebody else did want to take it on, they could probably be more successful than we are. I mean, if anyone was to take it on, they would almost certainly be a larger company that already has deals and contacts within distribution companies and retail mm-hmm. and um, a massive mailing list and everything else you need to be successful on a much larger scale. Um, so Paul and I haven't talked about it much, but I think I wouldn't be averse to that. Um, but if, if we did another Kickstarter and it suddenly jumped into mass popularity and we got loads of backers, I'd be fine with that too most likely outcome is that we'll get another 300 backers that's and it sounds like you're very comfortable with that that wouldn't be a bad thing if that happened as well yeah i mean that's that's doing what what we enjoy it's it's the handcrafting of the games and getting it in front of people who really want it so that's super cool as well so what i mean what have you got planned for next then i mean if a flick fleet gets put to bed for however long i mean are you are you you staying within kind of dexterity or are you looking at kind of other different genres that you want to kind of get involved in so there's there's three things that we currently have in some early form of testing at the moment so paul's Mm. working on a co-op about um diffusing bombs which i haven't had a chance to try yet all Um, right i've got another dexterity game which is about um Alien races trying to build the optimal solar system um, as a dexterity game, which uh, got some interest on Twitter yesterday just from that very brief description. Um, I am instantly fascinated by this. (laughs) That one did not uh, did not go quite as smoothly as Flickfleet. So the theme hasn't changed yet, but Uh um, the first cut of it was a sort of an action selection game almost like a worker placement type game uh-huh. um, 
that didn't work at all and then I had the crazy idea of making it into a dexterity game and so far that's been quite a lot of fun I mean it's very very early days so uh, there's a lot of work still to do on that one but that's got potential and at the moment it's got the craziest board imaginable so it's got uh, a, the board mirrors a the gravity well of the start of the solar system so it's got five levels so you know you see these um these two double layered boards where you've got cutouts to put your cubes in and things like yeah, that. yeah 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 it's five levels um so like and <laughs> so they they start high up and then as you get nearer to the center of the solar system they get lower and lower down until you reach the hole in the middle which represents where the sun is and anything that falls in there gets sucked into the star and destroyed um but as you get nearer and nearer to the gravity well the the, the width of the steps decreases so it showing the increase in gravity as you because it's um it's one of those inverse square things isn't it so <laughs> the nearer you are the stronger it the, the faster it gets stronger i've got to wonder i've got to wonder if this is about you know mechanics or if this is you going right i'm going up to expert handcrafting level and i need something that's going to provide me with a challenge and the potential to maybe lose a finger next time it was a really, really difficult job cutting out those <laughs> rings. I didn't lose a finger. I bet it was. Do you get like badges? Do you get like? Do you get like handcrafting dexterity? But are you after some kind of badge from the handcrafting society? Is there an award that they do? And did you miss out on it last year with Flick Fleet? And then your aim is to then come back bigger and stronger, like in some kind of rocky training montage. And then you're going to go for the award for next year. So it'll be like, and the winner of the handcrafted award is Jackson Pope. And you've imagined yourself winning that trophy and that's what you're aiming for. No. Sounds awesome. Where do I sign up? <laughs> I might have to make that handcrafting society and then it's pretty much a show, isn't it? I think point? you might have to. I think you might have to just like to make sure it runs kind of fine and on time and everything like that is to make sure that you kind of... Um, that you kind of um, kind of win the first award that you can obviously handcraft yourself as well. Yeah, there you go. Because that would be absolutely that would be absolutely that would be absolutely awesome. So when you see me wandering around the UK X Games Expo wearing a what looks like handmade uh, Rocky Four belt, one of those <laughs> massive, but made out of cardboard, not leather, you know what yes. that's all about. Everyone will know what that's about and I expect to see kind of Instagram, Twitter and even Facebook um, posts kind of all about it. That's what I'm expecting. Um, <laughs> but I can only, I mean, I can only wish you kind of best of luck because it's, because you sound like you've kind of like, it's not just like, there's a the manufacturing, go. Um, because unfortunately this week I have seen a lot of um, updates regarding manufacturing um, in another country and they've not been happy updates let me just say they've been kind of probably not very happy updates a lot of delays are going to be happening imagine, to a yeah. lot of games unfortunately um, but it, um, it sounds like you've kind of got things uh, sorted out and you're kind of happy about the challenge and everything that it is and obviously now you're going to be making your belt which is going to be kind of good but um, if people want to keep an eye on you on the internet webs, um, where can we keep an eye on you on the internet webs? 
where I'm most active on Twitter, where I'm Jackson underscore Pope. Um, mm-hmm. You can find us at www.eurydicygames.co.uk. And yet again, I foolishly chosen a name of a company which I have to spell out because nobody knows how to spell it. So Eurydice is spelled like Euro That's Dice, a... but swap the O for yes. a Y and you're there. Um, yes. So you can sign up to our mailing list there and see our games and buy copies of Flick Fleet Zombology sold out, I'm afraid. Um, we're also on Facebook at Eurydice Games and Instagram. I think there I'm Jackson Pope EG, all one word. Um, and that's, I think, all the places I'm available on the interwebs. And we'll we'll make sure we put the um, links in the show notes. So we've got Thank notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, um, just go to the internet. We've been doing this for four years now. Can you believe that? If I'd done shoplifting, I would have been out in two. But um, if you'd like to help the show, support the show, first thing you can do is tell other people about the show because one of the ways that we spread is by manically coughing over somebody else or telling them about us. And you can tell them about our Twitter or our Facebook or our Instagram or even our blog that we do as well. Um, If you have a podcast catcher of choice, then jump onto your podcast catcher of choice and feel free to give us a rating or a review. If you like us even more than that, then consider going to Apple Podcasts and drop us a rating or a review there. If you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. Um, but don't give us one star because um, it kind of makes us a little bit sad. Um, give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. And um, we're just a little bit average. But the uh, the person who's not been average is rather wonderful, rather fantastic. He's handcrafted, he's handmade, and he likes to flick a bit. It's Mr. Jackson Pope. Thank you very much for coming on, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> At yes, last, it, has. it finally happened. It finally, it finally happened. Let's just sit and bask in that absolute glory. But there is only two more things to do. First thing is to remember, we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Jackson? Nope. I'm more of a ranger, personally. Fantastic. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from Jackson. Say goodbye, Jackson. Goodbye, Jackson. That's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. Um, Well, make something handmade. Just make anything at all. But until the next time, goodbye. Bye. A wizard is never late. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to.